the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is, and a great morning to you. Thanks for being with us as we get started at 7 minutes after the hour of 9 o'clock on this Monday edition of The Authority. It's the 24th morning of the second month of the year of our Lord, 2020. Coming up on the program, we catch up with Congressman Jim Jordan, who's been busy. He's been touring Israel and uh, meeting with Israeli officials and working, obviously, on behalf of strengthening the uh, relationship that we already have with our strongest ally in the Middle East. Uh, Jim Jordan will be joining us coming up at 948. We missed him last week because of that trip. And uh, so we look forward to catching up with him on that that trip and a host of other things. And speaking of Israel, our other guest today is going to be Beverly Goldstein. She is a former congressional candidate. And she is uh, working uh, alongside Dan Ramada and Jim Simpson and others with the uh, wonderful organization, a very important organization, Red Green Access Exposed. And uh, she and her husband, Michael Goldstein, are going to be hosting an anti-Semitism uh, educational forum, if you will, coming up on Thursday. We're going to talk to you about that, talk to her about that. And we're also going to talk to her about some terrible, terrible, terrible news that we received over the weekend regarding the death of a man that I've only interviewed, I believe, one time, but um, I know a whole lot of people who know him very well, including Beverly Goldstein, who's going to talk about Philip Haney. Philip Haney uh, is a uh, an Obama-era whistleblower, uh, DHS, one of the founders of the Department of Homeland Security. And uh, in the course of his work, uh, his job was to assemble uh, and connect the dots, if you will, um, the links between various Muslim organizations uh, and terrorism uh, within the United States and without. It was an extraordinarily important job that he had and some incredible work that he did and uncovered and reported before, shockingly, uh, being told to scrub the record and the records of all of his work 
the Obama administration didn't want to know anymore. They did not want to know and have on the record all of the work, or all of the individuals, rather, and organizations that were responsible for and had ties to terror organizations. And uh, Philip Haney, well, uh, he was not shy about it. He wrote a book called See Something, Say Nothing. Obviously a reference to Barack Obama's former talking point. If you see something, say something. Well, he saw lots of things and then had it wiped out because they wanted to hear nothing. Um, to say that he was a thorn in the side of some of those types of individuals is an understatement. He was found dead this weekend. Official ruling, single gunshot wound. Uh, official ruling is actually a suicide. I know a lot of people who don't buy it. And I don't want to play the speculation game. Sometimes it's hard not to, given what I just told you. But uh, Beverly Goldstein knew Philip Haney very well. So did her husband, um, uh, Michael Goldstein, and uh, uh, so did Jim Simpson, who is our regular guest from Red Green Access Exposed. And uh, everybody's got some thoughts on that. We'll talk to Bev about that at 1010. All right. uh, First half hour, though, we need to dive into the biggest news of the day. And that, of course, is the fact that one of the two major parties in the United States of America, the Democrat Party, replaced the C with an N. It's a very simple fix, and it's Demon Rat Party. Um, They're on the verge of nominating a socialist communist, and I'm just going to kind of refer to it that way a little bit. Democratic socialist doesn't do him justice, um, and socialist doesn't do him justice. Bernie Sanders' entire career spent praising, glorifying, and defending communism indicates he is not just some sort of a you know free market capitalist at heart, but just wants to integrate little small elements of socialism into the mix in order to help the downtrodden. That's what he tries to sell you with his democratic socialism label. But he's not that. He's not even just a plain old socialist. He is a long uh, uh, a held believer in uh, communist principles and communist ideologies. He's praised them on numerous occasions. He went to, and we've talked about this, I think everybody has chuckled about this, pretend you're getting married. Pretend you're getting married back during the Cold War. Forget about now. But even now, imagine you're getting married and you and your bride or if you're a female listener, your husband or whatever the case might be, you know, you're saying, where do you want to go for our honeymoon? And what do you start thinking about Hawaii, want to go to the Bahamas, go to Jamaica? Usually it's, uh, you know, uh, it's the uh, beach crowd. You know, that's what most people like to do on their honeymoons is go to the beach and go one of the uh, uh, one of those types of. Uh, maybe a cruise, right, and hit various ports. Maybe Europe. Maybe you want to do want to go to Europe. Want to go and see Paris, or go and see, uh, you know, Madrid, or go to London, or whatever. Do, can you imagine in your wildest dreams saying to your your betrothed, you know, where I want to do our honeymoon, Moscow? Wait, what? You mean Russia? Yeah, let's go to Moscow. Now, that today, that would not come up on your list. You might say Punta Cana, you know, you might say a Mexican resort, you might say, I mean, there's so many of them. You would never say Moscow today. Now, imagine the Cold War. Imagine what it was like in Moscow at the time where the tensions between the United States and Russia were continuing to the to elevate until to the point where it was a matter of a, a nuclear arms race. Who's got more? We've got more than they do. They've got more than we do, as if you need more than one or two to in, essentially wipe out an entire nation. But anyway, uh, imagine I, I want to go to Moscow. That's where I want to have my honeymoon. 
Bernie Sanders has been in love with communism for virtually his entire adult life. And now he is opening a lot of eyes. A lot of people are starting to find out who he is and what he is. And among them would be anybody who watched the interview that he did with Anderson Cooper on 60 Minutes. Bernie Sanders went on to Anderson Cooper, who, was, who called him out for his loyalty to Fidel Castro. And there are, there's plenty of uh, video and audio of Bernie Sanders as a professor, Bernie Sanders as a, um, a, a mayoral candidate in Vermont, et cetera, et cetera, all of Bernie Sanders' public life. There's plenty of video and audio of him uh, praising communism and praising communist leaders, for example. Convinceria is explaining why the Cuban people didn't rise up and help the U.S. overthrow Cuban leader Fidel Castro. He educated the kids, gave them health care, totally transformed the society. We're very opposed to the authority. He educated the kids. He uh, uh, taught them to read, and I, I think I misstated that. How did he word it? Totally transformed the society. No, educated the kids, gave them health care. Yeah, there you go. He educated the kids. He gave them health care. Totally transformed their society. Talking about Fidel Castro in Cuba. And this interview was from, I, it's undated actually, but I believe it was from early in the 1990s. Uh, and, and he's praising Castro in Cuba because he educated kids and gave them health care. Totally transformed their society. And one could say, yeah, that part is true. He did transform their society into a dystopian nightmare, into an authoritarian oppression machine. That's what the society of Cuba became. He brought back firing squads, did Fidel Castro. He locked political dissidents, in other words, people who spoke out against the government, in, uh, in uh, uh, dungeons. Fidel Castro took everything that the people of Cuba had. I just talked to somebody last week. I just talked to Ana Guzman last week, who's a Cuban-American, who survived 23 years in Castro's Cuba, who told the horror stories of Cuban families having to go out to the beaches of that island nation, and pick up rocks, flip them over to see if there are snails stuck to them. And if they are, they get to eat. That's what. That's the Cuba that Fidel Castro, fear, oppression, violence, murder, hiring Che Guevara, the Cuban revolutionary, as he is known to the young idiot kids who wear his T-shirts, but who is essentially a torturer and murderer. That's the Castro that Bernie Sanders wants to excuse away by saying, yeah, but he, he brought a literacy program. I just played you a clip in which he was talking about how he uh, gave them health care and, and gave them uh, uh, um, uh, educated them. That, that was from about 25 years ago. This was Bernie Sanders' Yesterday, we're very opposed to. No, no, no. Hold on a second. Hold on. That's the wrong one. My apologies. This is Bernie Sanders uh, talking to um, uh, talking to um, uh, Anderson Cooper yesterday about what Fidel Castro did and why we should be uh, looking at Fidel Castro in a bit of a different light. We're very opposed to the authoritarian nature of Cuba. But you know, you got, it's unfair to simply say everything is bad. You know, when Fidel Castro came into office, you know what he did? He had a massive literacy program. Is that a bad thing? Even though Fidel Castro did it. A lot of dissidents imprisoned in, in Cuba. That's right. And we condemn that. We, con- very we condemn that. We condemn political dissidents being held. We condemn torture. We condemn firing squads. We condemn murders. 
We condemn all of these things done, uh, being done, but you don't condemn the man who was responsible. Why? Because Fidel Castro brought to the island nation of Cuba what Bernie Sanders wants to bring to the United States of America. He brought communism. You notice he will not condemn Castro ever. He'll say, well, I can, we condemn the, 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 the locking up of, of political dissidents. But was Castro all bad? Because look what he did. He brought them. You, you know what? You know what bringing them a literacy program did? It allowed them or maybe forced them to read the Communist Manifesto before he shot them. That's about it. Bernie Sanders went on CBS on live television on, on, on 60 Minutes and defended Fidel Castro because he brought a literacy program to the people that he then imprisoned and killed. That's not too far off from Hitler defenders who claim that, you know, not everything Hitler did was bad. Remember, he built the road system. He put in a highway system in in Germany. So, you know, he did some good things for the people, too. Who cares? He was a mass murderer. He perpetrated the Holocaust. He tried to commit genocide, wiping out an entire population of people. I'm not going to give him credit for building roads. That's what some do. I remember Marge Schott, I think it was, the old uh, uh, owner of the Cincinnati Reds. Somehow, some way, she was holding court on all things historical, and she defended Hitler. She had to sell the Reds because of that. She was just kind of f- sent off into, into uh, obscurity because of the unbelievable thought that she could defend something Hitler did. Marge Schott lost her, her, her business, her baseball team, for saying something as outrageous as that. Bernie Sanders is about to be elected president for it. Or at least elected and selected as the nominee for one of the two major parties. Fidel Castro was a murderer, a torturer. Fidel Castro was an oppressor. He was an authoritarian. He was a dictator. And Bernie Sanders loved him because he brought he brought the he brought them a literacy program when he came into office. Doesn't that count for something? Or does that not count because it's because it's Fidel Castro? And they're about to nominate this guy. He swept he has swept so far through the primaries and caucuses. Iowa caucus, New Hampshire primary, now Nevada caucus. He is clearly far and away the front runner. And in South Carolina, where Joe Biden still has the lead, according to uh, likely Democrat voters, um, Bernie Sanders has cut into that by half, including among black voters that Joe Biden thinks is going to be his saving grace in South Carolina because he was the vice president for the first black president, you know, so that means he's the right guy. 53% of black voters in South Carolina as little as a month ago supported Joe Biden. Now it's down to around 27%. Bernie Sanders is picking up all of those who are leaving him. Bernie Sanders is on his way to the nomination. And he is a flat-out, not democratic socialist, not socialist, flat-out communist. And everybody needs to know it. 921, back after this. All right, 925, I want to get right back into this. Um, in uh, 
Three days ago, this story ran on CBS, or excuse me, NBCnews.com. NBC, let me say that again. NBC, okay? Headline from three days ago. Will Bernie Sanders' long-ago praise of socialist regimes hurt Democrats in November? Subheadline. If Sanders is the nominee, some Democrats worry Trump will hammer him on his long-buried words in defense of governments in Nicaragua, Cuba, and the USSR. Now, I want you to let that sink in. They're worried that Trump will hammer him on his, quote, long-buried words in defense of governments in Nicaragua, Cuba, and the USSR. How long buried are they when he just repeated them yesterday? This isn't a guy who used to be an avowed socialist or communist, but has evolved over the course of the last 25 or 35 years. This is a man whose convictions have only been strengthened in the last 25 or 35 years. His entire life he has been a believer in socialism and communism. He has not changed it, and even on television, on CBS with Anderson Cooper, right now, as the Democrat frontrunner, he praises Fidel Castro. The article on NBC. In October 1985, a few months after Bernie Sanders, now listen to this, a few months after Bernie Sanders traveled to Nicaragua, to celebrate the sixth anniversary of that country's socialist revolution. The Soviet-backed government suspended the civil liberties of its citizens, including the rights to free speech, free assembly, and labor strikes. A few days later, Sanders, then the socialist mayor of Burlington, Vermont, received a pointed letter from a constituent. How, the letter writer wanted to know, could Sanders continue to embrace Another in a long line of dictatorships, whose only true concern is the length, its length of stay in power. In a written reply, Sanders, who had praised Nicaragua's communist leaders upon his return from the trip, made no apologies. The Nicaraguan government was fighting a brutal war funded by the United States, he wrote, which made the situation complex. Didn't the U.S. government, Sanders wrote, intern Japanese-Americans during World War II? Didn't Lincoln curtail basic rights during the Civil War? Thirty-five years later, Sanders is leading in national polls to become president of the United States, for at least the nominee for the Democrat Party. Sanders has staked out positions that are so far to the left of the rest of the field on trade, on troop deployment, on military action, and most importantly on economic principles, both Republicans and Democrats are already using the C-word, communist, to blunt his appeal. In Wednesday night's Democratic debate, Mike Bloomberg called him a communist. If Sanders wins the nomination, Democrats worry that Trump and his Republicans will hammer him on his long-buried words in defense of repressive governments in Nicaragua, Cuba, and the Soviet Union. Other crit- I'm going to stop there just because I don't have time for all this. But do you understand? They're going to have to update this news story, and the rest of the mainstream media, if they are at all interested in truth, are going to have to say they're not long-buried words. They're not formally held beliefs. It's not an old mindset or ideology that he has somehow evolved from. He is stronger than ever in his belief 
that the authoritarian communist governments in places like Nicaragua, places like Venezuela today, Venezuela once the wealthiest country in Latin America, now the poorest ever since the Hugo Chavez socialist regime came in. The communist nation of Cuba, and of course continuing uh, the communist nation of Russia, even though the Soviet bloc was broken. So you understand the point here. Bernie Sanders didn't go from, hey, he was once a communist, I wonder if Trump can use that against him. But now he's you know, uh, uh, you know, know, a, a normal capitalist American. No, 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 no. It's not that anymore. It's He was a communist, built and strengthened his views on communism, and now as front-runner for the party nomination is doubling down on his communist principles. He won't use the C-word, but he will indeed continue to espouse its principles. Much more to come on AM1420, The Answer. We don't get food again. 9.35. Thanks for being with us on AM1420, The Answer. I want to... um, I want to share something with you as we discuss Bernie Sanders beating uh, the field in Nevada. Um, Now having won three straight primaries or caucuses, uh, he has cemented his place as the front-runner. His uh, socialist and communist promises of free this, free that, free everything has fooled a lot of dumb people, particularly a lot of young and dumb people who have no idea about history, who have no idea about socialism or communism and its effects on people uh, in those particular countries. Somebody who did know what it was all about gave a speech in 1964. You hear him at the top of every hour of my broadcast. I play you that clip from President Reagan at the beginning of every show because I find it uh, every hour because I find it very inspiring. Um, it is. It, it, it just makes me feel good. It makes me feel strong. It makes me feel proud of my country. It makes me feel like we can do anything. Um, I want to share something else from President Reagan for you. This is 1964, and it's almost as if he could see the future and saw the rise of the Socialist Party, well, of the Democrat Party as a Socialist Party being taken over by Socialists or Communists. Um, you know, uh, 50 years on, 60 years on. 1964, President Reagan gave this speech, and this is a portion of it, it's about four minutes of it, and if you listen to it, it's, it's like he was warning people today. And if you are considering voting for Bernie Sanders and voting for socialism and communism, you really need to hear this. This is President Reagan, 1964. This is the issue of this election. Whether we believe in our capacity for self-government or whether we abandon the American Revolution and confess that a little intellectual elite in a far distant capital can plan our lives for us better than we can plan them ourselves. Now, it doesn't require expropriation or confiscation of private property or business to impose socialism on a people. What does it mean whether you hold the deed or the title to your business or property if the government holds the power of life and death? over that business or property, and such machinery already exists. The government can find some charge to bring against any concern it chooses to prosecute. Every businessman has his own tale of harassment. Somewhere a perversion has taken place. Our natural unalienable rights are now considered to be a dispensation of government and freedom 
has never been so fragile, so close to slipping from our grasp as it is at this moment. Well, I think it's time we ask ourselves if we still know the freedoms that were intended for us by the founding fathers. Not too long ago, two friends of mine were talking to a Cuban refugee, a businessman who had escaped from Castro. And in the midst of his story, one of my friends turned to the other and said, we don't know how lucky we are. And the Cuban stopped and said, how lucky you are. I had some place to escape to. And in that sentence, he told us the entire story. If we lose freedom here, there's no place to escape to. This is the last stand on earth. And this idea that government is beholden to the people, that it has no other source of power except the sovereign people, is still the newest and the most unique idea in all the long history of man's relation to man. This is the issue of this election. Whether we believe in our capacity for self-government or whether we abandon the American Revolution and confess that a little intellectual elite in a far distant capital can plan our lives for us better than we can plan them ourselves. You and I are told increasingly we have to choose between a left or right. Well, I'd like to suggest there is no such thing as a left or right. There's only an up or down. Man's own old age dream, the ultimate in individual freedom consistent with law and order, or down to the ant heap of totalitarianism. And regardless of their sincerity, their humanitarian motives, those who would trade our freedom for security have embarked on this downward course. In this vote harvesting time, they use terms like the great society, or as we were told a few days ago by the president, we must accept a greater government activity in the affairs of the people. But they've been a little more explicit in the past, and among themselves, and all of the things I now will quote have appeared in print. These are not Republican accusations. For example, they have voices that say the Cold War will end through our acceptance of a not undemocratic socialism. Another voice says the profit motive has become outmoded. It must be replaced by the incentives of the welfare state. Or our traditional system of individual freedom is incapable of solving the complex problems of the 20th century. Senator Fulbright has said at Stanford University that the Constitution is outmoded. He referred to the president as our moral teacher and our leader. And he says he is hobbled in his task by the restrictions of power imposed on him by this antiquated document. He must be freed so that he can do for us what he knows is best. And Senator Clark of Pennsylvania, another articulate spokesman, defines liberalism as meeting the material needs of the masses through the full power of centralized government. Well, I for one resent it when a representative of the people refers to you and me, the free men and women of this country, as the masses. This is a term we haven't applied to ourselves in America. But beyond that, the full power of centralized government, this was the very thing the Founding Fathers sought to minimize. They knew that governments don't control things. A government can't control the economy without controlling people. And they know when a government sets out to do that, it must use force and coercion to achieve its purpose. They also knew, those founding fathers, that outside of its legitimate functions, government does nothing as well or as economically as the private sector of the economy. Governments cannot control the economy without controlling people. That line toward the end of that four-minute clip of a President Reagan speech, and again, I keep saying President Reagan, 1964, obviously, he wasn't the president. 1964, he was uh, working on uh, Goldwater's campaign. He was one of, the, uh, one of his uh, prominent uh, uh, spokespersons. Um, 
So this is even before he was governor of California. So if I say President Reagan speaking, bear with me, okay? I don't mean he said this while he was president. In fact, the fact, the point of the matter, as I point out, is that this is 1964, and he saw what was coming in 2020. Now, he might not have known the year 2020, but he saw the danger of the rise of socialism in the United States and wanted people to know you can't ever let this happen. It was a defining issue in that election. It's a defining issue in this election in, in November, which is, you know, I, I'm going to say this very briefly, and i got to get out because I have to uh, make room for Congressman Jordan, but I think we all said in November of 2016, this was the most important election of our lifetime. It was it, the Hillary Clinton presidency would be the most dangerous thing we have ever seen. And I believed that at the time to be the, the truth. I never thought that 2020 would come around and say to 2016, hold my beer. Watch this. This is ten times more dangerous than Hillary Clinton if Bernie Sanders is the nominee and is a threat to beat Donald Trump because it's a complete and total change of, of, of our entire system of government, our, the system of our economy, our economic model. It would all be gone. If you elect a socialist and then he gives rise to other socialists like AOC and some of the other short-sighted nimrods in the Democrat Party, listen to what the former president said back in 1964 again. This is what Ronald Reagan wanted you to do. Don't control things. A government can't control the economy without controlling people. And they know when a government sets out to do that, it must use force and coercion to achieve. That's it. You cannot control, a government cannot control an economy without controlling people. And when it sets out to control people, you cannot do that without force and coercion. You just described Cuba. You just described the Castro regime. You just described the Soviet Union. You just described Venezuela. You just described socialist and communist force and coercion in nations around the globe that have historically taken the lives of over 100 million people. Congressman Jim Jordan joins us next. All right, 948 as we continue on AM 1420, The Answer. Appreciate you joining us this morning. And before I bring our guests onto the program, I want you to hear it again. As an avowed socialist, who I think we have proven through his years and years and years of praise for communists, is much more than just a quote-unquote Democrat socialist. It's important, again, to listen to the warning advanced way back in 1964. The full power of centralized government. This was the very thing the Founding Fathers sought to minimize. They knew that governments don't control things. A government can't control the economy without controlling people. And they know when a government sets out to do that, it must use force and coercion to achieve its purpose. That is exactly what the Democrat Party is trying to bring about right now, as they are on the precipice of nominating, I believe, Bernie Sanders as the uh, candidate for president of the United States for the Democrat Party. Congressman Jim Jordan, back from Israel, joins us now to analyze all of the news that uh, took place while he was gone. Congressman, good to have you back. How are you, sir? I'm doing fine, Bob. Good to be with you this morning. 
Good to talk to you as well. Before we talk uh, in more, I do. I wanted you to hear that, of course. I, mean, I know you've probably yeah, heard it a million times you. before. But before we do that, let's talk about your trip. Um, I wasn't aware that you yeah. were traveling last week until we uh, yep. uh, tried to schedule our, our normal visit here, and I found out you were on a uh, on a trip uh, to uh, Israel. Tell us how that went. Oh, it's fascinating, uh, fascinating trip. I was with uh, another member of Congress, and, and, and both our, our wives were able to travel with us as well. So um, mm-hmm. great trip. Um, we got to see a number of the uh, biblical sites, uh, this, this new path of the, the pilgrimage path, the, the trail that leads up from the, the pool up to the, the Temple Mount. So when, during the Temple period, they've actually found the original path, you know, the same path Jesus walked. So a number of interesting things we've got to do there, but, but we also got to meet with... Uh, uh, the prime minister, who's as you know, is in a in a very tough re-election um, uh, race. There, um, they've, they've called elections now the third time here in a year. Let's hope that Bibi, uh, our prime minister Netanyahu, wins that. And, and so, all in all, just a great trip. Um, I was really impressed. The other thing I would just say is I was really impressed. The first time I got to visit um, with our ambassador to Israel, David Friedman, and he is an amazing individual who's doing good work. For the president, for our country, and uh, and certainly for the state of Israel. So, uh, just just an amazing six days we got to spend over there. I love the fact that you're over there strengthening our ties with our strongest ally in the region and, and, mm-hmm. and one of, if not mm-hmm. our strongest ally in the world, which is uh, extraordinarily important. And I, I second your thoughts on uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu getting, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, continuing to be able to hold his office. Let's phrase it that way. You're yep. right. They call them elections, yep. but they continue to try to disavow his uh, his previous election. Great leader. He, he, I, he, Bob, he reminds me of the president. Um, just confident leadership, leadership written all over him. When you visit with him, is his is uh, uh, I was just very impressed with him uh, and and what he's been able to do for his uh, his great country and and the special bond and relationship he has with President Trump and the special relationship our two countries have. So um, let's hope he uh, let's hope he can win. So funny you say that because I thought the exact same thing when I watched him last night. He was on with uh, Mark Levin on Life, Liberty, and Levin mm-hmm. uh, was Prime Minister mm-hmm. Netanyahu, and I heard that, I heard some of the very same things you're talking about. I thought I see why he likes President Trump so much, and vice versa. Yep. Uh, there is so much yep. there that's uh, very deep. All right, uh, Congressman, uh, I want to get your reaction to a few different things, um, and, and let's start with where I just brought. Oh, I came up. Uh, I never thought I'd see the day when one of the two major parties in this country would be on the verge, and I think he's clearly the front runner. They still have a a lot of a lot of ground to cover and Super yeah. Tuesday and all the rest, but he's won three now, uh, two caucuses and a primary in very different types of places in Iowa, New Hampshire, and uh-huh. now in Nevada. Uh, Bernie Sanders is gaining in strength in South Carolina. Joe Biden is still leading according to the Democrat polling there, but his lead has shrunk to virtually nothing because of the rise of Bernie Sanders. I never thought we'd see a point or come to a point where a literal communist sympathizer, which is what he was in his earlier career, and continues to be uh-huh. a, a communist supporter and praiser and defender, even while he's a sitting senator and a presidential candidate, he rises to the top of a party. Yeah, no, I mean, look, what, what he honeymooned in Moscow and just yesterday was was complimenting uh, Castro and, and, <laughs> and the, the, it's scary. Um you know, and I don't think he's an aberration. I think he's. I think. I think he now represents who the Democrat Party is. I mean, you, you know, uh, we've talked before on on the Oversight Committee. We have uh, uh, Congresswoman Tlaib and Presley and <clears throat> Ocasio Cortez, and this is this is unfortunately who so much of the, the the Democrat Party now who they are, and it is dangerous because Reagan had it right, and President Trump has said the same thing. We are not a socialist country. That that it does not work. And frankly, I've had the opportunity, I think I've shared this with you before, I've had the opportunity to travel to Cuba. Now, 30 years ago, I, I, I competed in, in, in Cuba. they got great athletes, they got great people, but they have a terrible system. And when you have a system that suppresses liberty, freedom, and capitalism, bad things happen. 
and we saw it firsthand. I, I was there in 88. In 88, they were driving 59 Chevys, and, and I was there in 1990, they were driving 59 Chevys. And my guess is in 2020, in Cuba, they're still driving 59 Chevys because that's what happens when you have centralized control, as Reagan talked about. You, 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 don't, you don't get good things happening in your economy when you don't have the freedom and, and all those things we enjoy in our country. And now Bernie Sanders wants to move in that direction. That's the scary thing. That's a great point. Uh, so you're in 88, you were there at the same time he was honeymooning in uh, Moscow. So uh, you, you, yeah. you both got to see, for different reasons, obviously communism uh, in, in some of its worst uh, qualities or at some of its worst times at the same time. By the way, did you win while you were there? Uh, I won a few, but I lost one, too. I lost a few. I had to ask. I can remember. It was a couple of Cubans, East German, and I lost to them. Because they're, they're still back in the you know, Soviet bloc. In fact, you right. I, I, I competed in the Soviet Union in 87. I, I tell people, you go to places like that, you think the good Lord you live here. I, right. I, I, I was joking. I was in Moscow in February. Moscow in February, it, it felt like 400 below zero. The food was terrible. And again, it's not about the people. We're all, you know, I always say we're all in need of God's grace. We're all just regular human beings. Yeah. But when you have a system that suppresses liberty, it is not good. And we saw it firsthand. In 87, we went to the Soviet Union. It was like the Wizard of Oz in reverse. You, you literally went from colorful United States of America to black and white, dismal Soviet Union. And that is what we need to understand is, is really at stake with what Bernie Sanders is pushing and where he would like to take our country. That is a very great point and very well said. One of the things that differentiates uh, differentiates us from those communist nations that you visited and talk about is our fair and impartial system of justice. And that's my segue to the Roger Stone case. I know, again, you were in Israel last week, so I don't know how much you got to watch of this. But uh, if you have any thoughts on a juror who ends up being the foreperson of the jury who is a former Democratic congressional candidate and a strong, vocal, anti-Trump activist on social media sitting in judgment of a Trump associate, uh, or at least as the foreperson, sitting in judgment of yeah. the Trump associate, Roger Stone, was a radical Amy Keller Jackson, a radical uh, uh, Obama appointee judge who, again, wears her activism on her sleeve, sentencing him to 40 months for crimes that typically would get somebody, you know, maybe six months on house arrest if they weren't associated with Donald Trump. What's going on with our system of, of justice, and what is your take on those screaming that Bill Barr should never have intervened in this, and he should yeah. Golly. There's so many things wrong with this whole thing. Know, Seven to nine years was, was way out of line. Bill Barr was exactly right to come forward. The, 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 and we know he was right, because look what the judge did. She sentenced him to 41. So I still I think that's too much. And frankly, I think the whole thing's a problem, because remember, remember when they went to his house? They kicked in his door at like 5 in the morning? Roger Stone, this is not some, this is not some drug dealing. With tactical, yeah, tactical gear, uh, SWAT teams and everything else. I mean, the FBI was all loaded up as if there was going to be a big shootout for this guy who was, uh, who was you know, accused of process crimes. Yeah, it, it's crazy. So the, the, the whole thing, and, and, you know, we've talked about this before. It's the number one question I get when I'm out and about. People will come up to me and say, when is someone going to jail? And what they mean by that is, when are the people who did this, like the Andy McCabe's who got off, just in the last couple of weeks. So after lying three times under oath to the inspector general, nothing happens to Andy McCabe, but Roger Stone gets his door kicked in at six in the morning, five in the morning, whenever it was, CNN cameras waiting outside to film it all. Uh, the, 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 the prosecutors recommend nine years in prison for, for something that Andy McCabe got nothing for. And Andy McCabe did it three times. I mean, that is what drives Americans crazy. And I'm still hopeful that, that the, when this plays all, when this all plays out, that John Durham, when he comes with his report and his investigation concludes later this summer, 
that there will be accountability for the people who lied to the FISA court 17 times, who did the things that we've now uh, talked about for, for a couple years, that there will be accountability for those individuals. Uh, we're talking to a congressman, Jim Jordan. Let me ask you this one other thing, Congressman, uh, while I've got you here. Um, again, the president really can't seem to make any moves whatsoever that don't draw criticism or calls for impeachment again. Um, he made a move on the director of national intelligence and uh, has uh, replaced Joe McGuire with Richard Grinnell, who is very, very highly thought of and very competent, obviously, mm-hmm. but he doesn't have, doesn't have experience specifically in uh, the, the DNI, d- the Department of National Intelligence. Uh, William McRaven, the retired admiral, wrote in the Washington Post yesterday, or maybe it was Saturday, um, that if in the headline was, if good men like Joe McGuire can't speak the truth, we should be deeply afraid. He thinks that President Trump getting rid of, uh, of McGuire is because he is critical of the administration and that the replacement of him with Grinnell puts us in danger. How do you respond to that? Two points. First, the president can put in place the individuals he thinks are best equipped to accomplish the policies he was elected to, to, to do. So that's the president's call. And if he wants Mr. Grinnell, God bless him. I'm all for it. So second, we just had a story yesterday that said maybe what the intelligence community briefed the members of the Gang of Eight, the members of Congress, the leaders in Congress on last week, maybe that wasn't quite accurate. Maybe they didn't. This Pearson uh, individual who, who briefed, there's a story on it that says she didn't fully cover what was really going on. So uh, once again, it looks like, oh, maybe they weren't being completely square with the folks on Capitol Hill. And, of course, they got all the stories that ran last week, all the Russia influence and all this again. Um, but it looks like they didn't give the full story to them. And so I think those two things are important as we're thinking about the, the decisions the president made. And you've got to remember the history. I mean, it, 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 you know, look, we've been talking about this for two and a half years, you and I. But it was everything we said and thought were, going, were taking place actually were proven to be true with the inspector general's report in December where he, he highlighted the fact that <clears> – <throat> These folks lied to the FISA court 17 times. We know when they went up to, to brief President-elect Trump in, in early January, before he was at, before inauguration uh, in 2017, we know they went up and briefed him on the dossier that they already knew was false. But they went ahead and told the president about it. So with all that history, and then this story last week that turns out maybe wasn't quite as accurate as people were saying yeah. about the briefing on Russia, I think the president's title put in place the, the, the folks he wants there. Which obviously, as you pointed out, he is completely entitled to do. This is this is why you get elected president, so you can make decisions, yeah. and you don't have to have everybody in your administration agree with them. And if people are working counter to what your view and your idea is uh, for the betterment of uh, any particular department, any particular uh, area, then that is why you were chosen to make those tough decisions. And uh, and, and this was the issue in impeachment. This was the issue of impeachment, Bob. They That's talked right. about the interagency consensus. Like, no, the interagency wasn't elected by we, the American people. Bingo. President Trump was. That's the fundamental point, and, and uh, we need to make sure we keep that keep that in mind. That's very well said. Congressman Jim Jordan, good to have you back here on, uh, on you your bet. home soil. Uh, good to talk to you again, and we'll good do it again next you. week. You got it. Jim Jordan Thanks. joining us on AM 1420, The Answer. It's 10 o'clock. We'll get news now, and on the other side, we're going to shift gears a little bit. We're going to talk about some devastating news that we got over the weekend about a terrible, terrible passing. Uh, which I alluded to at the beginning of the show. And then we're also going to talk about the ongoing threat of anti-Semitism in this country. And we're going to talk to somebody who is doing something to educate people and is planning to do more uh, starting next month. Um, and Beverly Goldstein is her name. She will join us next. 
Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.